Hey guys, and welcome back to Mind the Green Space, the podcast where we talk about all things adventure, sustainability, and mental health, and how they all somehow interconnect. This podcast is in collaboration with Powerful Parks. To find out more about them, check out the description below. Welcome back to Mind the Green Space. This week I am joined with Thomas Hind, who is from the North York Moors National Park. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, your role within the National Park and all that jazz. Great, yeah. And so my name's Tom Tom Hind. You can call me Tom rather than Thomas. Only, only my auntie Irene calls me uh, uh, calls me Thomas. But I'm the chief executive at the uh, North York Moors uh, National Park Authority, uh, a job that I've held for just over a year. Yeah, so I realised that when I'm this podcast has made me really good at stalking people to get good questions, and I noticed that you'd only started in um 2020. Um, so what drew you to this role and becoming part of the national park? No, it's a really good question. I'm I, I prior to joining the national park, I'd worked in the farming industry for um for for about twenty years, which had been fasc- fascinating. I, I'd I'd done a number of different things working for uh, the NFU um for uh, uh, an organisation called the AHDB, uh, and a bit of time working for a, a little known supermarket chain called Tesco. Um, oh, wow. But um, uh, I, I'd always had a, a real, a real interest in the outdoors, and especially as I've got older, I've spent more time uh, visiting the national parks across the um, across the UK, but particularly in the north of England, where I'm from originally. And so, yeah. when this job came up, it was just something that really appealed to um, uh, the kind of things that I enjoyed out of work as much as what I was doing in work in the farming sector. So here I am, and uh, really pleased and proud to uh, to have got the role. It's amazing. I'm really happy actually to get someone on that's got a bit of a farming background because I feel like as we're going into the push towards climate change and climate action, I feel like I've said this a few times now that farmers, um, there's very polarised discussion when it comes to farming because people, I think, kind of lack the education but I feel like there's not enough conversation about how farming can be done sustainably as well. So it's really great to get your opinion on stuff like that. So we'll get into that in a bit. Um, so as you're so to the national park what is your vision for the national park going forward well look i mean in t- terms of the national park we uh, we published earlier on earlier on this week in fact a a new uh, what we call a management plan for the national park and uh, it's a really important piece of work because a management plan in effect sets a vision um for the future of the um of the landscape up until 2040 and with, within that um uh, within that plan there's a there's a a specific vision that talks about a resilient lands a resilient landscape that's at the forefront um, of addressing climate change uh, a landscape that's biodiverse beautiful and varied uh, and a landscape that's um, uh, helping to lift the nation's health and well-being and certainly when we think about the experience that we've all all had through the pandemic the ability to kind of get out and enjoy the sort of the the fact that the wonder of the natural beauty that we have uh, in some cases on our doorsteps, in some cases a bit further away, particularly in our national national parks, uh, has been really something that's been um, encouraging to see certainly the new audiences that we've welcomed to national parks over the last couple of years. Um, I think we all feel really proud about the, the role that we've been able to play in lifting the nation's health and well-being and we want to do more of that. Yeah, 100%, especially, I'm glad you mentioned that um, COVID for me, it completely changed how I view the outdoors because that's all I had really. And I kind of live by the Brecon Beacons anyway. And so I realised how much I was relying on these landscapes to like help me mentally during when we were in lockdown. How have you found that COVID has kind of 
help benefit the national park in terms of people coming, maybe even from a governmental perspective of them realizing how important national parks are. Yeah, well, look, I, mean, I think we take it for granted, don't we? Especially yeah. um, when we when we live in the uh, when we live in the countryside. And um, uh, I, I mean, I, I know many of colleagues in some of my former roles who were living in Coventry and um, and, and, and big cities around the country uh, during that period of lockdown uh, didn't didn't have the same opportunities that, that others have had. And so when um, uh, when situations become a bit freer, that chance to actually get out and and enjoy those landscapes has, has provided a kind of massive release, actually, for a lot of people. Um, I think. For, um, for us, the, 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 what we have seen is we've seen new audiences come to national parks. Um, uh, they, in many cases, weren't, weren't always aware that the national park existed, even if it was on their doorstep. Um, they've been able to um, see for the first time uh, some really fantastic scenery. They've been able to kind of get out and um, uh, recharge their batteries, just just do, doing simple stuff, walking, cycling. Um, they've also been able to ex experience the, the sort of wonder of some of the tranquility that we have in, in national parks as well. I mean, it's not without, um, not without its challenges. I, mean, I think all national yeah. parks have seen um, uh, quite high visitor numbers, uh, and uh, and in some in some parts of the country, uh, that has posed challenges in terms of local services, in terms of parking, uh, traffic, um, and and sometimes a little bit of tension with local communities as well. But I think by and large, we've been able to kind of work um, uh, work with communities uh, and work with other partners, particularly in local government and, and and national stakeholders, to ensure that we minimise the downsides, but also maximise the benefits of being able to welcome people um, uh, through the course of the pandemic and subsequently yeah especially I think um, a lot of people don't realize I feel like a lot of light isn't brought to the kind of businesses that work within national parks and kind of what that entails and I read somewhere I think it's like almost 2,000 businesses are within the North York um, Moors National Park um, how, can you tell us a little bit of the type of work that you do to help maintain and improve the national park but also keep a really good relationship with those businesses yeah. So look, as a national park, our our, our priorities and our our purposes are, are driven largely by conservation. We're, we're about trying to uh, conserve and enhance the the natural beauty, the wildlife, and the cultural heritage of, of the national park, as well as provide opportunities for for people to enjoy what we call the special qualities of, of each of the uh, the fifteen national parks um, uh, across the um, across the UK. Um, but we can't do that um, without the the support and um, the, the involvement of the, the people who live and work there because the, the landscapes in the UK are living and working landscapes after, after all. And so whether that's working with uh, working with community groups or with businesses, whether the, whether they be in tourism or whether they be in agriculture is fundamental because they shape the landscape and they shape the opportunities for people to enjoy it. And we've certainly strove to um, build build good relationships, albeit always being mindful that we're driven by those purposes around conservation, wildlife, cultural heritage and, uh, and, and enjoyment. Yeah, 100%. Um, so your background then being in farming, have you found that when you're addressing some of these business, agricultural businesses, have you found that it's helped you? Because I feel like um, I'm from Mirtha and there was this TV show when we were in lockdown, actually, and they had um, these climate change people come and film a documentary in Mirtha and they were vegan as well. And the way they handled farming, because I don't think they quite understood the importance of farming. I think the TV show in general was so badly done. It was quite ignorant to farmers and their livelihoods. Have you found then that you farmers have been more open to hearing what you have to say because you have that background? 
it definitely helps in uh, because you build you have a certain rapport and a degree of empathy with uh, with, with with farmers to be able to uh, relate to the issues they um, uh, they face um, and the, the fact that I've been involved in in supporting and representing them at a national level I think is uh, is um, is really is really important and and, and is rec is recognised by by farmers um, I think the um, uh, you, you, you're right to say that, that there is this kind of I think many farmers feel quite defensive um, yeah. at the moment they feel they feel under threat um, they feel challenged by some of the narrative and the rhetoric around uh, around around climate change and methane production in particular and, and there's no getting away from the fact that farm, farming like every other sector of the economy has to improve its game in terms of its environmental environmental performance but equally I think uh, we and they see farming as part of the solution uh, and our strategy in the North York Moors has always been to work hand in glove with farmers as partners and aspiration that they're, they're part of the landscape um, uh, as a uh, as, as, as the chair of our authority says, many of them are hefted to the landscape. And so um, actually working with farmers is indispensable in terms of delivering our purposes. But that doesn't mean necessarily to say that the that, that staying as the industry is, is, is the right thing. I think yeah. the industry will go through some transformative change in the next 10 years, wherever you are in the UK, but particularly in England, uh, where the, the change in agricultural policy is happening quicker than it is elsewhere in the UK. Um, that will have quite a big impact and a big impact, particularly on upland uh, national parks where there's a real dependency on, on livestock production, a livestock production that's generally been heavily supported by the old common agricultural policy in the past. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. And it's really exciting actually to see what changed. I didn't realise um, things were changing so quickly. I think maybe, especially now that COP26 has just happened, it'd be really exciting to see what's to come of that and then what formative change is going to happen and not just talk in the news like it has been for so many years, I think. Um, as this podcast um, season is all about national parks and climate change, what are some of the targets that you set out then um, recently? Yeah, sure. So we, we make climate change is probably the big priority of our new national park management plan in the in, in the North York Moors. Um, we, ha we have a, a, a target as a family of national park authorities in England to be net zero by 2030. Uh, and uh, for the authority and our our work as an organisation, that, that's no that's no small feat. Um, uh, we, we run small buildings that um, are, are quite expensive to, to heat and light. And so we're going to need to do something to decarbonise those. Uh, we have a bit of a, a land as an estate and it provides an opportunity maybe for a, for a bit of a, for some offsetting. And we also run a, um, a hydrocarbon powered uh, powered fleet of vehicles that will will have to transition over to electric over the coming years. But we're really excited about that and the opportunities that it might present um, that uh, for the national park as a whole. I think all of the national parks um, as a family share an ambition for the areas to be net zero by uh, by by 2045. Um, uh, obviously, our ability to control that as authorities is very much in the hands of the, the businesses that operate there, as we talked about earlier. Um, and it's not just farmers and landowners. In our cases, the, the North York Moors, we have um, uh, we have some 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 major um, industrial development. Um, RAF Filingdale's uh, an early warning station. Um, it's a big user of energy. Uh, we have um, uh, a couple of uh, deep mines as well um, that, that are in the national park. But we, we've set policies in the past that require offsetting. Uh, of those emissions and also we think there is the potential there uh, in woodland creation and peat restoration across the national park um, for the landscape to work harder for the climate at the same time as being a really beautiful and varied landscape which is what we aspire to in the management plan yeah that's amazing i did read some of that you i think you have quite a large um woodland area but mainly ancient woodland 
Um, can you tell me what is the importance of having ancient woodland? Well, I mean, this, these are some of our, our oldest woodlands right the way across the, the, the country. They're, they're fantastic resources in themselves for their cultural heritage, but they're also the really important um, habitats for wildlife. Um, and, and not just the wildlife that we see, but also the wildlife that, that, that's in the soil, uh, the wildlife that's um, in the humus of the, 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 the ground uh, that you may not necessarily see if in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a conifer plantation. I mean, our national park is one of the more wooded national parks. Um, over 20% of the land area uh, is in forest, and a lot of that actually is in commercial, commercial forest. Uh, and that's important. It's, it's important for um, the, the, the sustainability and self-sufficiency of our uh, of, our, of our domestic market for timber, but also it's important that we work with um, key partners like the Forestry Forestry England um, to ensure that um, uh, that landscape, the wooded landscape and the forested landscape in the National Park also works harder for the environment and, and works harder for, for people as well. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. I think um, there's not enough um, education around it or just like information out there that's easy to access about the importance of woodland especially ancient woodland I since starting this podcast I've become a bit of like a people would say a tree hugger and it's quite funny because I feel like I don't want to talk about it with my friends because it seems uncool if that makes sense but I feel like I've got so many facts about trees that I can't share with people because it's uncool do you think then that there's a bit of a disconnect between younger people and nature and then kind of understanding the importance of it uh, yeah, li a little bit. I mean, it's um, it's hard to. I've got no evidence to this, and and it's yeah. you're always at risk of generalising. But um, but but yeah, I think there has become a disconnect, and especially amongst generations younger than younger than younger younger than yourself, where uh, most of the leisure time probably is spent, and certainly has been spent in the last eighteen months in front of an iPad or. Uh, or some other uh, proprietary brand of uh, of tablet or uh, or, or, co or computer, um, and and so what we see with our say our education program, for example, when we uh, when we bring kids out into the national park, that the spark and connection that they see, even if it is just trying to um, trying to light a fire with a with a bow and a piece of a piece of wood against a block, um, that kind of wonder of being out and about in nature. Uh, and the experience, it, it the lifelong experience it gives to them, it's really, really quite important. And I don't think we can do enough of that um, that experience building, particularly in this day and age when more and more of us live in an urban urbanized society, and more and more of us are living through the medium of the 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 the, the, the metaverse, as it's starting to be called, as opposed to the real universe. Yeah, it kind of blows my mind as well when I think of like children in schools now, like even my sister, for example. So we live kind of around the Bracken Beacons National Park. And when I was in school, some of our school trips would be going out to like places like, I'm not sure if you heard of it, Dollar Gay, that's quite a big one in Bracken Beacons, where you go out, you spend like a weekend, you learn how to build a tent out of tarpaulin, you go orienteering, you went um, kayaking at one point. So that actually really helped me in like appreciating the outdoors and also learn a few things as well in terms of like, the dangers of open fires which has been a big problem in the Bracken Beacons as well recently but that as soon as my sister went into like because there's five years between us they stopped doing stuff like that and it kind of um, it made me sad because that was like one of the funnest things I did as a child and we live in a national um kind of by a national park anyway so I couldn't imagine what it's like for people living in urban areas and their school trips not being anywhere near like great outdoors it blows my mind and then yeah, I, I oh, go on. No, I was going to say no. You, I think you, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of it is down to the 
down to the curriculum. And uh, I mean, just as just as yourself in in in, in Merthyr, are adjacent to the Brecon Beacons, there are probably people down the uh, down the Rhone, the Valley, and elsewhere that um, won't be aware of the landscape on the doorstep, even though in some cases they're actually seeing it out of their um, seeing it out of the windows. We have a similar situation in the North York Moors that uh, uh, we have um, a very big um, urban population, industrial population on the the north of the national park in Teesside. And um, we feel a really strong connection with that that population, but but it may, it may not always be um, uh, apparent to them that you have this kind of fantastic place on your doorstep. And so it's really important to us that the national park and the people in the national park uh, are, um, have that kind of inclusive welcome um, in, in in wanting people to come to the um, to the area, but also that we're going out into communities and reaching out to communities, um, helping to helping them to make access into the national park easy. Public transports can be a, a limiting factor if you don't own yeah. a car, and many people don't own own vehicles. Um, being able to kind of get out and then having the familiarity to know what to do is really important. So if you start young in terms of that journey of helping people to understand it um, and what 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 they can do, but also how to be how to behave responsibly in a in in in, in nature, I think is really important. Yeah, it's a huge thing because I feel like sometimes you see signs and it says no open fires. And then there's kind of like, well, what is an open fire? Like, what what does that come under? But then I also feel like when people aren't going into like um, populated areas in the National Park and they go into a bit more remote and there aren't these signs to say no open fires or anything, then they don't really understand like when they're starting fires, how dangerous it can be. And we've had, I think it was like summer of 2019 was an awful time with the amount of fires that were in the Brecon Beacons. It was quite sad actually to see that. I'm not sure if you've had like same problems up in your national park or stuff like that. We've seen we've seen similar similar challenges, particularly last year. Um, um, uh, just in, in I think during the the height of some of the lockdown restrictions, when there was really fantastic weather and people just wanted to release, and actually most of the problems were associated with people flocking to water and 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 uh, and, and and not not always being responsible to themselves as well as yeah. uh, as well as to others. But we've also seen problems with open fires and with barbecues and uh, and in particular the scourge uh, that is uh, that is that is litter. But but I I think you're right. That but it's not it's not always because people are are, 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 are willfully um willfully neglecting to appreciate the fact that it's somebody else's backyard um sometimes it is just a degree of a, a degree of ignorance and so as a national family of national parks uh we, we certainly invested in trying to improve our communications about about how to behave responsibly but in a in a positive way rather than a kind of preaching a negative way and the love the love your national parks and love your litter campaign that we ran earlier on this year as a as a group of national parks is just an example of that because it was designed to really appeal to a younger audience and a and a, and a more and a, and a more uh, demographic demographically diverse audience than perhaps we have done in the past and um, just those simple messages about taking your litter home with it and uh, home with you and loving it um, I think are, re are really important because nobody wants to see your when they walk down a street but they especially don't want to see it when they're in a national park yeah 100 percent. you put the nail on the head there i saw that you have something like eighteen thousand students um in contact with the park authorities education team like each year what is some of the work you do with that then why is it so important that you have these students come in contact with you guys 
Well, as we said earlier, it's, it's partly about g- giving people that spark to their imagination that uh, that that they can feed off of, feed off for the less, rest of their lives in terms of their their understanding of and, and desire to connect with nature and appreciation that that there are these things called national parks that are there for everybody to enjoy, every, are there for everybody to enjoy, and they're a wonderful asset and resource that in some cases um, happen to be on people's doorsteps. But, but the real reason why we get in, involved in in school groups and particularly school groups from um, some of the most deprived communities in in, in, in England um, is, is about health and well-being. Um, yeah. it, it's actually about um, improving the health and well-being, not not just of the kids themselves who uh, may well be um, may, may well have been uh, uh, marginalised at school, may well be, be struggling in terms of their their, their learning outcomes, may, may well be being be disruptive for other reasons, and we 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 target them because we we we. we we know that that experience of spending some time with members of our education team, whether that's on a just on a day trip or a or a residential um, trip, um, can be a real life changer in terms of their their, their outcomes, uh, societal outcomes, but in particular their health and well-being outcomes, uh, and not just for them but also for their families as well. So that's the reason why we get involved in it, is we think we've got something really tangible and important that we can offer in terms of the the health and well-being um, from a physical and mental point of view for. Uh, for for young 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 kids surrounding the the national park. Yeah, I love that. That's starting to become um, more of a forefront now as well. Is realizing how much green spaces do affect our mental health and well being. I know for myself, when I'm going out for a walk, I'm going out for a cycle. That's all I'm focused on. For even if it's just for an hour, that's all that my mind is on. And it's so refreshing to just have that. And I can't imagine what it does for children, especially if they're doing it regularly as well. Absolutely right. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, I saw um, the North York Moors is designated as an international dark sky reserve in 2020, and it's only one of eight in the world. What what is that? If you can expand on it, yeah, I'll do. I'll do my, I think it's one of eight, one of one of eighteen or so. In in yeah. in, in fact, um, uh, but 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 one of only a handful um, here in the United Kingdom, and uh, we were really pleased to achieve international dark skies reserve status in 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 twenty twenty, along with our, uh, our 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 near colleagues in the um, in in the Yorkshire Dales. Uh, and really, dark sky reserves are uh, in in effect they're, they're they're designated by the International Dark Skies um, Association. Um, as areas that are in effect um, design, designated because um, the, uh, because of the, the the ability to see um, high quality of starry night skies um, and the limited limited amount of light pollution uh, in in those areas and because they're they're they're, they're protected protected space spe- protected spaces that are that are either either protected for wildlife or protected for the ability of people to enjoy recreate enjoy recreation so. Um, there are a number of these these reserves right the way around the world, from uh, North America across um, across different parts of Europe, uh, and and really from our point of view, it's um it, it's a couple of things really. The, the national park was already quite quite dark, and so we felt that there was an opportunity to uh, to be part of a, an, an important and prestigious uh, prestigious club. But but really, it's about the the, the benefits that that darker skies bring. Um, uh, light pollution uh, can be a problem. It can be a problem in terms of disrupting ecosystems and and and, and ecology. Uh, it can be uh, disruptive, certainly in terms of it, it's a it, it can be a complete waste of energy, uh, which of course, in terms of climate change, is no um, not, not an insignificant factor. Uh, but also, it um, it can be impactful in terms of people's health and well-being as well. So, actually, creating and carving out these reserves uh, right the way around the world, but particularly in our densely populated country, 
uh, we, we think is really important. And it also just adds to the, the attraction of the, the, the North York Moors as a, as a place for visitors, um, uh, particularly um, if you're coming in the, in the autumn and the winter when your days might be a bit shorter, but your nights might be a bit longer. Um, how can you actually enjoy the, 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 star, the wonder of the starry skies, the Milky Way, uh, the Aurora Borealis, which we sometimes see from the, uh, from the North York Moors as well? Um, it can be a real wonder to behold, and it's something that we're really proud of. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That actually makes me really want to go to the North York, North York National Park, just because when I picture when I, you know, got out stargazing and stuff, even though I have quite remote places I can go, I can't imagine what it would be like to not have the light pollution and look at it. And I can only just imagine how great it must feel to just be able and just look up and see everything. Yeah, absolutely, and there and there are tremendous tremendous places um, on on your doorstep in, uh, yeah. in in and around the Brecon Beacons, which I, I know I know pretty well from uh, my my wife's uh, my wife's family. Um, uh, but um, uh, the the challenge of um, dark skies uh, dark skies in Wales is you can be very very dark, but it can also be very wet as well. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it tends to be one of the drier national parks, so we benefit not every not not every day, but uh, we benefit from sometimes clearer night skies. Yeah. So one thing being um, within Wales, I feel like it's always quite cloudy. So there's, I'm quite a big space nerd. So when I'm seeing that, like maybe Elon Musk's like star lines are coming across or something like that, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see it. You look up and there's nothing because there's just clouds. <laughs> um, moving on then, I saw something that kind of a, caught my eye a bit and that kind of upset me a little bit, which was wildlife crime, which was a term that I've never come across before. And um, it was quite shocking to discover that the North Yorkshire um, as a county is being identified for great numbers of um, incidents for raptor, raptor persecution. Persecution, that's it, yeah. What is wildlife crime and why, why do you think it's such a big problem? Well, I mean, wildlife crime is really what it says on the tin. It's um, it, it it's um, illegal acts that are that, that are that are performed against uh, against wildlife, and whether that's stealing rare birds' eggs or uh, whether that's uh, disrupting a a badger a badger set without without the license to do so, or whether that's uh, uh, whether that's um, uh, illegal, illegally shooting bird, birds, birds of prey, for example, and uh, I mean, it's um, it, it's certainly not something that uh, that we're particularly proud of. I mean, as you say, um, that the North Yorkshire as a county has been been highlighted in the past as uh, uh, an area where. Uh, wildlife crime has been has been prominent and uh, the North York Moors has been has been part of that as well and um, uh, we, we think of course for every bad story there's also a good story to tell yeah. about the conservation work that people are doing on the ground uh, but it's certainly something that that, that we're, we're we're really mindful of and, and concerned about um, uh, we um, uh, as the the National Park Authority part of our role is to act as the custodian of the reputation of the National Park uh, and the reputation of the park uh, undoubtedly is harmed every time uh, there has in the past been a, a story about wildlife crime or raptor persecution. And, and, and our job really has been to, uh, uh, I think uh, I think a couple of things. One is um, we, we don't have an awful lot of powers. We're not the police, but we do work yeah. very, very closely with the police to try and address wildlife crime when we when, when we hear or see evidence. And we also try and um, uh, improve the, the awareness of people visiting the National Park, as well as our, our wider team, our staff and our volunteers to spot the signs of when it might when it when it might be it might be occurring but we also try and work really closely with 
the, the the land estates and uh, the 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 shooting industry, which is quite important to the North York Moors. It's um, historically been uh, one of the great places to come and uh, come and shoot recreationally for uh, uh, whether that's lowland shooting for pheasants and partridges or, or grouse shooting on the on the moors. And as I said earlier, we we, we need to work with um, farmers and landowners as, as as our partners. But but we, we certainly there can't be any mistake in our position, which is this is illegal and, and, and completely unacceptable. And certainly the, the, the businesses that I've spoken to are, are really, really clear on that, that we will have no truck whatsoever uh, with wildlife crime. But more importantly, I think they increasingly recognise that it impacts on their reputation and their industry's reputation as well. And therefore, they need to be seen to be getting their act together uh, to ensure they're rooted out um, uh, and they're rooted out from the shooting industry. So I've been heartened by some of the reactions that I've had from businesses. Um, I think we won't be complacent as a national park yeah. authority. We'll continue to make clear that um, uh, our position is emphatically um, uh, opposed to this, that we will not tolerate it in any shape or form, uh, but also recognising uh, that where businesses uh, are doing the right thing from a conservation point of view, we'll praise them and reward it as well yeah that's great to see because i think do you think that it comes down again to like maybe a disconnect or a lack of education because sometimes this can be just around like cultures that people have grown up in like people uh, shooting is is a culture it's a sport that people do so do you think then that comes down to people need to be better educated on it find um easier information no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think this is a a particular um a, a particular issue about 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 education. It's okay. wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, there's no excusing uh, wildlife crime. It's wrong. Uh, it okay. shouldn't take place. Uh, and and I, I don't think uh, I don't think anybody can be any any doubt of that. Whether you're part and parcel of the shooting profession um, and and or, or and or do it recreationally or whether you've got no interest in it whatsoever uh, it's just it's something that that shouldn't happen i mean i do think historically it's been it's been a symptom, symptomatic of probably a, um, a a sort of a business model around shooting which i think is changing and there is that yeah. recognition that it that it needs to change uh, um, certainly the, the the shooting industry needs to ensure that it um, it, it talks about the good work it's doing as well as uh, as well as tackling the, the the challenges but, but i think we, we've got to recognize that um society is always changing isn't it and what people do from a recreational point of view will, will um uh, will change that said that there's still an important um uh, an important group of people who uh um want to who, who fish it's still the most popular recreational sport out there um and and also who shoot as well so um and 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 it, it it's a it, it's a legal activity it's a licensed and lawful activity and uh, and it brings quite a lot of money into the national park and is important to the conservation of the landscape as well yeah thank you for clearing that i really appreciate it that yeah you cleared up a lot of it because when i first came across the term wildlife crime i really didn't have any idea and i think maybe people listening today will have a better idea of what it is and how um to realize that it is wrong and then you maybe the change there i don't really know <laughs> what they could do but you know what i mean like as you say it is it is wrong and i'm glad that you were recognizing that and working with people to prevent that um so i've seen that visitors generate quite a bit of money it's like 730 million just for local economy in 2019 alone how are visitors um fitting into your um, plans as the national park in terms of getting to net zero 
Yeah, it's a really, really important question. I mean, uh, visit, we have something like eight, between eight and eight and a half million visitors um, every year to the uh, to the North York Moors. And uh, we, we're, we're delighted to welcome welcome them back every year and welcome new audiences to the National Park, which we think it's got a tremendous amount to offer to a lot of people. Um, but but certainly um, uh, many of those visitors do do arrive by uh, by road and they arrive in their own vehicles. And uh, and and that does does bring with it its challenges. I mean, some of the obvious practical challenges around uh, around where to park and uh, uh, where to go go and visit uh, but also um, uh, also what, what are the alternatives as well and um, our national park is um, we, we have some advantages in terms of public transport we've got a really good bus line uh, that operates along the coast uh, we have a, a rail service that runs down the what's called the Esk Valley um, from uh, Middlesbrough to uh, to Whitby and we also seasonally have a, a, a an operator called Moores Bus that operates in in the national park uh, but getting that 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 public transport uh, network to talk to each other to be really integrated I think is part of the challenge challenge uh, as well as making it easy for people obviously covid's been difficult because um people have um, naturally wanted to um maintain private transport for uh, for for understandable reasons around social distancing and and, and so on I, I think longer term we've not only got to make sure that regionally across north yorkshire and uh, and teesside we've got a really good integrated and available public transport network and we're hoping that uh, a devolution agreement for North Yorkshire might actually help to bring some of the much needed inward investments in that transport infrastructure, not just in urban areas, but in rural areas that will connect um, people up a lot better. Uh, but I think also we've got to recognise that people will still want to use private transport. Um, uh, and whether that's private transport by road or by, by, by bicycle, we've got to create the infrastructure for that got some fantastic cycling routes in the North York Moors. I can fully recommend it um, uh, as, a, uh, as a as a gravel biking or mountain biking destination. Some great road cycling as well, although you've got to like hills uh, if you uh, if you come to this national park. Um, but also, um, how do we actually create the electric electrified infrastructure in terms of charging points? Relatively few in the North York Moors at the moment. Um, uh, it is obviously quite sparsely populated, so they've got to be strategically positioned. But certainly, in our roadmap as National Park Authority, we'll be looking at how we can put electric charging points into our car parks to create that infrastructure that enables both residents and visitors to um, benefit from that transition towards net zero as well. Yeah, that's great. I think the trans transport into in general, that is the thing that I think needs to change the fastest and the most as well because um being from south wales i i feel like public transport in south wales compared to north is already it's better anyway but it's still way really inconvenient considering like the other day i went to cardiff and i was meeting my friend from swindon in cardiff and it took her a shorter amount of time to get to Sw from swindon to cardiff than it did for me to take mirtha to cardiff on the train so it's just like the inconvenience of public transport, I think, really needs to change, especially in rural areas, like you said, because um, a few months ago, I went up to Snowdonia National Park. The only way that I knew how to get up there was to drive, because if I was to take public transport, one, it would cost me hundreds of pounds, and two, it would probably take me about 12 hours to do, which is just crazy when you think about it so i think that is definitely something that needs yeah. to change it is it is difficult i mean i think we we, we can't defy some of the laws of ge of geography um, yeah 
uh, whether it's the uh, whether it's the Welsh Valleys or um, or some of the, the the dales in in our national park or the Yorkshire Dales, it's hard to get from A to B because you've got to drive. You've often got to go south to go back north, back back north again, and therefore um, public transport will always have certain limitations that are just simply about the geography of the uh, of the place. But uh, I mean, I don't think we should uh, exclude or discount the opportunities that might come in car sharing schemes or vehicle sharing schemes, particularly if they become carbon neutral themselves and and, and being electrified. Um, I think um, uh, the more that you see of that infrastructure, the less reliance there may well be on uh, on, on on ownership of private vehicles uh, and more of that ability to use uh, other other modes of transport that are more carbon efficient. That might not just be public transport, might be private transport, but available to a much wider audience because you're hiring it on a on a day by day or case by case basis. Yeah, that's great. I think it just comes down to like the convenience of it as well. I think because I think uh, for me. The travel aspect of the, um, going somewhere is like the worst part. I just want to be there the quickest, easiest way. And I don't want to take the extra steps it takes because at the end of the day, I just want to get where I'm going. And I feel like everyone thinks that. So that's why we opt for private transport, just taking our cars, which isn't the best. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 I think we've got to, for for all that we say about we need to improve public transport, we absolutely do. But we've got to recognise that um, th this is ultimately driven by what the customer wants to do. And the yeah. customer will often want to use private transport because it's quicker, easier, more convenient um, uh, and, 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 and hassle free. Yeah, 100%, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, we're kind of coming to uh, a bit of a close now. Uh, I have this question I've asked of theme national parks. If money was not a problem, what would the future of North York Moors National Park look like? Oh crumbs! I mean, it's a it's a million dollar question because we're, yeah. we're all all of us uh, as a group of national parks. We're, we're proud of the work we do, but there's so much more we could do if we had significantly more resources. But uh, I mean, we and we can we we can we can sort of complain or cry about that, but we're better off actually focusing on the good stuff and what we can do. I think in our national park, if if money were no object, um, we 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 put massive investment into the rights away network to make it um uh all style free or user user friendly um, accessible to disabled groups as well as others um i think we'd um we'd, we'd put more investment into our in, into our visitor center so that we could um give people a, a really brilliant welcome and help 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 talk to them more about the benefits of the national park we're really proud of the the two that we've got um in the national park but sometimes we feel we could do a better job in the north of the national park in connecting people from teesside with the with the area and probably the biggest thing really is about how we'd use resources and money uh to work in partnership with landowners and and, and farmers uh to to increase the kind of ecological corridors and the, the wildlife connectivity across the national park and do more of that good stuff in terms of peat restoration and, and woodland creation in in a way that was synergistic with pe what people wanted to enjoy in terms of the landscape as well so i mean not some of these things are always going to be uh, a, a work in progress for the rest of my life, I'm sure. But uh, um, certainly, if money were no object, it would be improving the visitor offer, in, improving the rights of the way network, doing more in terms of wildlife conservation and habitat creation. That's amazing stuff. Yeah, that's the one thing that whenever I do these national park podcasts, it's always it always comes down to a lack of funding, I find. Um, but. I'm thinking now from what I've seen and the conversations I've had that especially with COP doing a whole day for nature with the National Park UK charity coming and bringing everyone under one umbrella hopefully getting funding will be a lot easier for you and especially tapping into that private sector as, sector as well which is becoming 
um, a new thing for you guys. Yeah, let, let's let's hope so. But I mean, I think that the most important thing, and I keep saying this with my colleagues, is we've got to talk to the solution, uh, and we, we've got to be positive about what we're doing, not 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 downbeat. We, we yeah. are part of the solution as a group of national parks. We should be really proud of what we're doing, and I think actually many people there's quite a, we've got quite a strong brand recognition out there as a, as a group of national parks lots of people are aware of us let's talk to the positives and talk about what we are doing that really addresses some of these big societal challenges like climate change like uh, the state of the state of nature uh, like health and well-being uh, like um, uh, uh, inclusive access um, we're all doing some fantastic stuff let's talk about the good stuff and 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 and, and i think the benefits of that will 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 will, will be there and will come over time it's amazing yeah um talking about where all the benefits and all the good stuff you can find out where can people find out more about you guys national park well the starting point is always our always our website um it's www.northyorkmoors.org.uk um you can find lots of great information on there about what to see what to do where where where, where to go the 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 sheer diversity of the attractions that we have in the north york moors from uh, the fantastic vistas that we have on the the western and northern escarpment uh, through to the coastline which is spectacular and unparalleled in the uh, in the north and east of england um and just the range of activities that you can do within the national park as well whether it's just simply actually um, spending time in the in the tranquility of the place and soaking it all up or whether it's uh, getting some thrills and spills at uh, either our visitor center at sutton bank or at uh, dolby forest or one of the other areas where you can get out and about on a bike it's uh, yeah it's a brilliant place that's great stuff. I think the one of the, the North York Moors National Park is actually only one of the um, national parks that I didn't manage to get to uh, when I went on the Pelver Parks trip. I think it was that one and the New Forest. I was so gutted that I didn't. Um, yeah, I bet the get guys right there they, they will have avoided the North York Moors because the hills are too hard. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the Lake District was hard enough. I can't imagine if you're anywhere. Well, yeah, I saw the pictures of uh, going over Honest, going over. Um, uh, I can't remember if it was Honister or whether it was one of the um, one of the other passes, but they're nails. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely nails what piece of advice would you give then to visitors visiting the national park i think the main, main thing is, is is be be be, be prepared i mean it's uh, scouts motto and all and, and all that but um, use the information that's available to you if um, if you go somewhere and it's busy uh, it looks busy it probably is busy and uh, you might want to think about going to going to plan b um single biggest thing though um, as I said before, the big scourge that we've seen right way across the country, particularly last summer, was litter. Please just take it home with you. Um, it's, uh, it's a fantastic place. It's somebody else's um, back garden as well as it is an opportunity for you to enjoy it. Uh, you don't want to blight it by leaving your litter there. It's just not a good thing to do. Amazing. Thank you so much for that advice and everything that you've shared today. I'm actually really excited to come and visit now because it's definitely on my list. So well, thank let you us so know much. when you come. I will no, definitely. Great. Good to speak to you. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. There are new episodes every Thursday. And if you want to keep up to date with the Mind the Green Space outside of the podcast, make sure you check us out on Instagram at Mind the Green Space. There'll be a link in the description. <laughs>